630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Here's what's happening in the NHL tonight. The Winnipeg Jets trail the Ottawa Senators 2-1 early in the second period. Senators out shooting Winnipeg 19-10. Oilers have the Jets twice coming up on this four-game road trip. They will play there Sunday and Tuesday. Blue Jackets and Red Wings scoreless late in the first period. Capitals up 3-1 on the Penguins after the first. Just five shots for the Penguins. Early second period, Panthers leading Chicago 2-1. Sabres and Flyers are scoreless and a little deeper into the second period at MSG. Rangers and Devils tied 1-1. Zajac and Kreider, the goal scorers in that game. Later on tonight, it's the Avalanche taking on the Los Angeles Kings. Carolina play, or that's the postponed game, pardon me. Carolina and uh, Nashville postponed out of an abundance of caution by the NHL because of COVID concerns. The Oilers play again tomorrow. They will be in Toronto. Face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. will start at 3.30 in the afternoon. I give you all permission to quit work early, and the game will start at 5. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Reed Wilkins with you. Inside Sports on Oilers and Double E Radio, 6.30, Chad. You can get in touch by calling or texting 780-496-0063. So the Edmonton Oilers are 1-3, and, and they have not looked good doing it. They have not been overly close in the games that they have lost. They scored just twice total in two defeats to the Montreal Canadiens. In fact, they gave up as many shorthanded goals as they scored in total. And you know the story on the power play, 0 for 10 over those two games, 0 for 7 last night. In fact, the Oilers scored more shorthanded goals than they did power play goals. Devin Shore scored late in the game last night while killing a penalty. So there are several things that appear to be wrong with the team. A couple of them are things that I think we probably thought were going to be strengths, one of them being the power play. We'll discuss that as we go along tonight. But I have a few questions about the team that uh, I want to explore. I'm probably not going to answer them, but I want to discuss them, and I think perhaps even the lack of an answer in some cases might be an indication of some of the problems that the team is having. And here's my very first question out of the gate. Here is number one. And I'm going to use a mild bit of profanity in asking this question, so please forgive me, especially if you're under the age of 13. Here's the question. Who the heck are the Edmonton Oilers? Like, who are they? Okay, I'm not talking about just giving me a list of the players or reading the Wikipedia entry. They are a team in the National Hockey League owned by, coached by, captained by. I'm not, like, who are the Edmonton Oilers? And I, I think this boils down in a lot of ways to that question that we bring up sometimes with players and teams in sports to the whole idea of identity. And what do you have, what can you do consistently? What do you fall back on when things aren't going your way? If you're having a rough night, what do you say between periods or between quarters or at halftime if it's football? Or what does a tennis player say to himself between sets? What do you say, all right, this is bad tonight or it's not going our way. What are we going to do to get back in it? What can we rely on? Who are we? And who are the Edmonton Oilers? And I think we didn't see much uh, identity in that uh, playoff series against Chicago and four games into this year. I don't know the answer to that. Beyond this, beyond this, when the, the top guys are going, 
I mean, they're great. I mean, they got McDavid, they got Dreisaitl, who have both won the Hart Trophy, who have both won the scoring title. You have Nugent Hopkins, who's a very good support player. I think Kyler Yamamoto is slowly becoming a very good support player. So you get contributions from those guys, or the power play has a good night like it did in the win over Vancouver. They'll win. So the top guys go and do it. They outskill the other team. They outscore the other team. Uh, they'll win. And as frustrating as these first four games were, and I think as subpar as the performances of the big three were as a whole, I actually think Yamamoto was probably pretty good. I think Yamamoto had three out of four good games. From a support player, that's not too bad. The big three, I would say, was quite a bit below their expectations, like significant below expectations for Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, and Dreisaitl. But, okay, so the Oilers have those guys. I think probably once every 10 games, they will just overwhelm opponents with their skill or with their power play prowess. And I do think the power play will come along, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So, okay, over a 56-game season, you might win five or six games strictly on your high-end talent. Those guys are that good. We've seen it before. We saw it already this year. McDavid gets a hat trick. Nugent Hopkins scores twice. Yamamoto chips in, Dreisaitl gets four assists, and the Oilers were able to beat Vancouver last Thursday. So fine, good. There's an advantage for the Oilers. Let me ask you this. What else do they have that you really think they can rely on at this point? And let, let's let's look at, at, at what, things that can happen in a hockey game besides just scoring goals or, or a one-on-one -on -one confrontation where the more skilled player might win, especially if he's a more significantly skilled player. So what, like, what do you say about some teams over the years or even past Oilers teams? Well, you know what? It wasn't their night, but man, they hung in there and they blocked a lot of shots and they clogged up the front of the net and they were tough in their own end and they, and, and they protected their goalie and they, and they tried to get some energy by doing that. Or a team's like, well, you know what? They, they couldn't score tonight, but they, but they sure as heck didn't make any mistakes. They didn't go out there and fumble the puck and miss passes and leave players at open front. Like that's an identity thing. Maybe you're just a team, you tell yourself, we're not going to make mistakes. We are not going to hand it to the other team. Maybe you're a shot-blocking team. Maybe you say, regardless of what happens tonight, we are getting in the shooting lane. We are not giving up freebies to the goalie. We're going at defensemen. We're clogging up the slot. That's what we're doing. Maybe you're a physical team. Maybe some nights you lose a game, but that other, that other club is leaving the rink saying, they pounded us. We felt that one. And, you're, and, you know, people watching the game are saying, well, man, oh, man, they lost tonight, but the, the other team had to work. They, they made them pay. They finished every check. That's their identity. All those kinds of things could be a, an identity for a team. Just those three things I listed off, I would be shocked if anybody listed those as characteristics of the Edmonton Oilers. There are, there are other things you can have, but... Those are things that make up identity. You know, think about this. I was watching that game on the weekend. You may have heard of the National Football League. Tampa Bay is playing New Orleans. And a Tampa Bay offensive lineman committed a false start, moved early, cost him five yards. And Brady's glaring at the guy and says something to him. So as, as great as Tom Brady is, and there's no doubt he has skill and he has composure and all those types of things, what is he telling that guy in that situation? We do not make a mistake. We do not hand the other team yardage. 
So what have the Oilers done in first four games? Well, they've made tons of mistakes. They've handed other teams goals and scoring opportunities. And in the process of it, they haven't been over phys- overly physical or overly responsive in losing this game. And maybe again, probably replaying things you and I were talking about in 2013, 2014, 2015, et cetera, they appear to be, at this point, easy to play against. Now, are some of these problems fixable? Yes. Is it possible that this is just a slump that the Oilers are having and it's magnified because it's happening at the beginning of the season and this is all the information that we have? Yes, possible. But having said that, there are things that have to be, uh, the mistakes and things like that have to be removed into their game and some level of energy and responsibility and accountability has to be injected into their game and i'm not talking about players who are fourth liners magically becoming second liners or 10 goal scorers magically becoming 30 goal scorers or defensemen who play 11 minutes a night all of a sudden being able to play 22 to some extent a player's skill set is going to remain his skill set but if you have a skill set we better see it zach cassian you can hit people you can irritate people he's done it in one game out of three For example, Adam Larson, you're supposed to be a shutdown, rugged defenseman. We haven't really seen it. And I can go down the list. I'm not picking on those two guys only. They are just the first two that came to my mind. Which leads me into my second question. Which leads me into my second question as an offshoot of the first question, which was who the heck are the Edmonton Oilers? My second question is, why is Kyler Yamamoto apparently the Oilers' best power forward? I want you to think about that. Kyler Yamamoto, through four games, is the Oilers' best power forward. How do I characterize a power forward? He finishes his checks. He gets under the other team's skin. He goes to the front of the other team's net. He doesn't quit on pucks. He digs for turnovers. And he irritates. Now, he took three penalties in the first two games. Okay, you'd like to see him cut that down. One of them was kind of a chintzy call. But seeing the games in person, I'm starting to notice, A, Yamamoto finishes his checks, and B, he's starting to get under the skin of the other players. I've seen, I'm sure some of you have seen it if the TV camera has picked it up. I've seen others that were behind the play. He's getting shots from guys. He's getting little cross checks. He's getting little slashes. He's getting face washes. He's getting punched when he's going to the bench, like last night at Montreal. And, I, and look, good for him. Why is he the only one doing it? Who else is going to say, at what point does somebody else say, the five foot six guy who's actually our fourth best offensive player is also having to stir the pot? At what point does somebody else say, oh, geez, uh, I think actually that's why I'm on the team. Maybe I'll take a little bit of the burden off Kyler so uh, he can maybe score a goal or two here along the way. and We might actually win a game. So that's another question I have. Why is Kyler Yamamoto currently, in my mind, the Oilers' best power forward? If you're on hold, stay there. I'm getting to you after the break. It's 617. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight, Ron. 
Rob Brown's going to check in a little bit later on. We'll have Gord Stellick on the show, host of Leafs Hockey on Sportsnet 590 in Toronto. Leafs out to a pretty good start to the season. Only loss was to the Ottawa Senators. 780-496-0063. We have Scott on the line. Scott, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hi. I have a couple of points. First thing with the goalies, there's nothing we can do right now. But I don't think it's our major problem. We have somebody with pads that's good enough for right now. Our problem is how do you play as an NHL player with McDavid and Leon? You got to get out there. You got to get the puck. You got to get it back to them. You got to get to the front of the net, and you got to play with some gumption and desire. Right now, none of the other players that are playing with them on a regular basis are doing that. That's the problem. None of the other teams are scared of McDavid unless Drysaddle is with them right now. Unless we have a a top line that we can put out there against any team that they're going to be scared of. It just doesn't, it's just not there right now. Right now, you've got to play Drysaddle and McDavid together until we get some bona fide guys that are going to bust their butt and get out there and play the way you need to. You look back when Gretzky played, didn't matter who stepped on the ice, you played a certain way with Gretzky, and if you didn't, you didn't see the ice. That's the issue. Well, here's here's what I would say to that, Scott, and I, I'm going to talk about a different line combination that I should think should be reunited, and I think you know which one it is. But I think you're right, and and again, to go back to Cassian, and I'm not saying he's, he's the only problem. I mean, the second game of the season, Cassian went out there, and he threw hits, and he went to the front of the net, and he was a pain in the butt for the Vancouver Canucks. We have to see that more than every third game. I mean, he didn't get into the teens and goals by shooting from the outside. He went by going to the front of the net and tapping in rebounds and passes from McDavid. So he has to somehow get back to that mentality. And that's, that's why I think they're capable of playing better. And I think what is, and look, I I don't think they're a Stanley cup contender. Do I think they're better than one and three? Yes. And I've seen a lot of these players play better and with more concentration than they have over the first four games. And I think that's what's frustrating and alarming to me is that there's more in the tank and it's not coming out. There's definitely more tank and it's top to bottom. Um, and that's why you got to play Dreisler and McDavid together because let's hypothetically, and hope it never happens. Let's say one of the two asked for a trade. Let's just say that, okay? Who is the fans going to be more upset with, whether it's Dreisaitl or is it McDavid? And I hope it never, ever comes to that. But as of right now, we don't have the, the talent to play with McDavid so that he can elevate his game. Right now, we're, we're just letting him say, hey, this is the best we got. That's what you're going out with. Until we get better, it's got to be dry saddle. I'm sorry. I like Nuge at the top speed on a regular basis and over and over and over again. I just don't see it. All right. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. 780-496-0063. We also have Robert standing by. Hey, Robert, go ahead. Uh, hey, Reed. How you doing? Good. Wow. I mean, like, I, you know, like, I, you know, like, I, I, you know, I have a similar point to, to that last caller when he said, you know, Dreisaitl and McDavid need to be together. But honestly, I think honestly, I think if uh, I think doing that, I think I think that could pose a bigger problem because now then other teams only have to key on one line. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but uh, but uh, but we saw back like back just to like around the end of uh, 
Todd McClellan's time here. Dry Settle and McDavid were together. Other teams keyed on them. And when they were on the ice, that was the, that was the that was that was the only time the Oilers were even 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 like a real serious threat to score. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Thanks for calling, Robert. And that's why that they were broken up, and that's why Nugent Hopkins uh, went back up onto the line with McDavid because I think as as they saw the season move along last year they they realized that those were our four best forwards Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl and Yamamoto and then McDavid and and for most of the second half of last year three of them were on the same line so that's why they gave Nugent Hopkins back to McDavid and then tried to sign other guys with a little bit more of offensive ability in the summer here um I think, I mean, look, this isn't just what Dave Tippett wants. I think this is what Ken Holland and management wants, that McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't together, that they play on separate lines. I I think that's going to stay that way most of the time this season. Having said that, and this is one of my questions that I want to bring up tonight, the third one I'll bring up this evening, is when will one of the deadliest lines in the NHL be put back together? And we all know what it's like with line combinations. It's not set in stone. There's no rule that when you put a line together, you have to play them that way for 20 games. But with the team in this funk, and with the team knowing that they had their most success last year, when Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto were a line, why not put that line back together and say, all right, let's let this line lead the way. And... That, that line was valuable for two reasons. Now, most importantly was they scored a lot. Nothing more valuable than that. But they forechecked, and they wore down the opponent, and they created some momentum, and they allowed other lines to go out on the ice with the opposition on its heels, including McDavid, regardless of who he is with. I think when you're in this funk and in this slump, I mean, you go to your power. Like if, if you know, again, if – if, if you're a, f- a football team and, and, and you can't move the ball, you get it to your most reliable ball carrier, to your most reliable receiver. You don't say, ah, well, he's too good. We're not going to give him the ball. Those three guys got to be together again. Winnipeg, five and a half left in the second period. Also in period two, Columbus leads Detroit, one nothing. Capitals up 4-2 on the Penguins. Florida up 3-2 on Chicago. No score, Buffalo and Philly. And the Devils lead the Rangers 3-2. One game coming up later, that is the Avalanche and the Kings. Hurricanes and Predators postponed out of what the NHL says is an abundance of caution for COVID concerns. Oilers and Leafs. Tomorrow and Friday on 6.30, Chad, both games, face-off shows at 3.30. Both games will start at 5. Ryan McLeod has been assigned to the Bakersfield Condors from the Oilers taxi squad. 
I'm a little disappointed with that. I was hoping McLeod would make his NHL debut sooner rather than later. Showed some good speed in camp. Seems to get involved in the play. I know that it would be a step up to uh, the National Hockey League, but uh, I didn't mind what I saw from McLeod uh, when I've seen him in camp a couple of times. I can also let you know as we bring Gord Stellick onto the show from Sportsnet 590, the fan in uh, Toronto. Gord, good to talk to you. And in the spirit of making you, me, and everybody else feel a little old, Mark Messier turns 60 years of age today. How about that? Oh, man. Hey, Reed, nice to see you. No, you're right about that. Wow. Wow, it seems just like yesterday. And uh, he's still one of those guys as a 60-year-old. I haven't seen him for a couple of years, but uh, uh, you, you wouldn't treat like uh, you, you treat with a lot of respect still. Wow, 60. Yeah, uh, probably looks like I, I haven't seen him in person for a few years, but uh, looks uh, much as he did <laughs> during his playing days. Of course, uh, 1,767 uh, regular season games played. Um, I mean, I don't know, like you were, you, you would have been with the Leafs going up against Messier. I know you didn't play the orders a lot, but what, how, how would you ultimately define Messier's career if you had to pick one or two th- things? I know that's tough to th- throw that at you off the top, but. Well, I always say that uh, you know when the and the, when the Leafs team wasn't really good and the Oilers were great, you kind of um, your Stanley Cup games were the couple of times you played the Oilers and the couple of times you played the Montreal Canadiens. You know that would be uh, and I, I remember one game and I'll get to Messier specifically, but I remember one game. It would be one of those you know four years, and it was a quirky one. We were in Edmonton and the Oilers were hosting the Calgary Flames on Friday. And then playing us on Saturday, kind of like what they're doing now, except two different teams, right? So we went to the press box and watched the Calgary-Edmonton game on the Friday, and we played them on the Saturday. And the Friday, say Edmonton beat Calgary 8-3, and say on Saturday they beat us 9-2. And the thing was, of those 17 goals, Reed, five were the best goals I'd seen all year. And the Edmonton fans had no, I kept thinking, oh, do you guys have any idea? Any idea what you're what you're seeing? Like for starters, about the because you know there, there weren't highlights every night. There wasn't TSN or Sportsnet or what have you. So the greatness of that team. The thing about Messier was he scared me. He was scary. Like he was like he was really skilled, but he could beat the crap out of you. Like he was uh, a guy to be you know that great, like Lemieux was or Gretzky was, but in a different way. You know, Mark Messier was the guy that. You better keep your head up. You know, you don't want to go in the trenches with, like, you know, he, he just, he was incredibly skilled and excellent, but he was the, he's probably the only great player that was really scary. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah. In terms of a, a physical beating as well as getting a few points to beat you. Absolutely. An all time great. Okay. Well, we're off and running in the Canadian division. Uh, pardon me, the North Division. I got to use the proper terminology. Uh, the, the, you know, the Leafs have uh, the Leafs obviously had the loss to Ottawa, but they're three and one. I've I've only been able to see bits and pieces of their games. Um, you know, what would a summary of the Leafs season um, been so far? They got to be pretty happy with that record. Yeah, they do, and probably their most complete game last night against Winnipeg. Uh, I'd have to say. You know, Montreal, uh, game number one, Leafs came back and found a way to win it in overtime but got outplayed by the Canadians. And then in Ottawa had a, you know, real debacle, give out good on the sends, uh, the, the one the one egg the Leafs laid. And then on Saturday played well against Ottawa. So, you know, all in all, um, the, the big guns have been going. Uh, Freddie Anderson had been pretty ordinary, then played really well last night. 
And, uh, you know, and interesting with trying to get pieces like Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and Zach Bogosian and TJ Brody. And it's, it's all gone rather well after four games time. All right, so let me throw this one at you because uh, I I think a lot of the talk with the North Division, especially maybe the perceived top six besides Ottawa, was that they all have some pretty obvious strengths but maybe might have one or two fatal flaws. For Edmonton, it was goal prevention and goaltending, and we've seen that be one of the problems that has hindered the Oilers here early in the season. Now, maybe Toronto hasn't been hindered by it, but what was the preseason chatter there about a potential fatal flaw? And do you think it might still be lingering to rear its ugly head at some point? Yeah, well, you're right about that, Reed. It's it's interesting. I know when you talk about the Canadian teams being similar for Toronto, waking up and not being in a division with the Tampa Bay Lightning and Boston Bruins has, has been nice. So you're uh, you're kind of in a pool where there are comparables. And for the Maple Leafs, really, defense has been their flaw. Uh, last year, you know, Cody CC, especially Tyson Berry, who's looking to get back on track in, in Edmonton. I mean, Tyson Berry, to me, is more that guy I saw with the Colorado Avalanche. It just never really got started. It was really a signal that things were had gone off the tracks with Mike Babcock's time with the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, was a big reason in, in him being moved. So this year, uh, it, that's the thing. Back to the drawing board, and in, in the case of TJ Brody, is, is he going to be a better fit than other people fit in that way and and really that that's the one big flaw read the other part just in general uh, the the Leafs never never got fully going last year it was a very uneven year it was a disappointing regular season it was a disappointing uh play-in round against Columbus so it's important they get off to a decent start because like like I say last year when they were looking to make a step forward and kind of similar to Edmonton at times uh you, you don't make the step forward in some ways you made a step sideways and maybe a, even a little bit backwards so Overall, as a team, they got they got to find that that it factor about you know going out being able to compete. When you talk about the old Oiler teams that won Stanley Cups, about getting to that next level, about being prepared for every game and and having uh, a better regular season than last year, but also starting to have some success in the playoffs. Well, and I, and I think you're touching on what what I was talking about to my audience here in Edmonton in the first half hour of the show. Where, where I'm sitting here saying, what is the Oilers' identity? Yes, a few nights a year, the big guys are just going to light up an opposing team or have a great power play. But I still don't really know what I, who I would say the Oilers are beyond that. Are they a tight checking team? Are they a shot blocking team? Are they uh, a physical team? Are they a team that can shut it down and play you know, mistake-free hockey and try to win a game 2-1 or 1-0? I don't know which one of those they are. I don't know if they're capable of being one of those. Would you say that that's a similar question you would ask of the Maple Leafs? Yeah, that, that's. Uh, I think the Leafs are. I think a little bit ahead, more ahead as a team that way. But uh, uh, that's correct. Like, what do you like? What are you getting? Like, let's like. And and the other part, I know um, there's no fans in the seats this year, as we well know. But uh, and I know home ice isn't the same as it used to be. The arenas are pretty well cookie cutter situations. But you know, if you become a good team, you, you want to kick ass at home, right? I mean, you want to make your building a tough building to come in and play. That's certainly what it was like going to North Northlands Coliseum for so many years. And, you know, that's something that never, that never really happened there about that. You know, like, like, okay, you know, one game, this is great. First star of the games, Austin Matthews, second star, Mitch Marner, third star, John Tavares.
Paris. Carlton the Bear hugs them. They win 7-2. Happy days are here again. And then, you know, what's an important game on the road against the Florida Panthers? They, they play as flat as the crowd generally is in Sunrise, Florida, right? And just go, wait a sec, you were, that was a four-point game in the old Atlantic Division. You really, you really needed to uh, show up for that. And I thought, Reed, uh, Sheldon Keefe had a good line last year that, and this, I think, in a lot of ways is why they bought, brought in some veteran leadership that you know, he called the guys kind of an immature, immature team off the ice. And, you know, we, we value the youth because it's a young person's game nowadays, and that, that's part of their excellence or when they play well on the ice. But I think he brought up a good point that that factor off the ice, that maturity factor, uh, was exactly why you had games like you just described, so, so different. And instead of a, a certain standard or style of play, you know, that becomes what the old Oilers did every night or what, what great teams and really good teams do by and large every night. Gord Stelic joining us on Inside Sports. How has Joe Thornton looked? Good, good. And you know what, Reed? Uh, I like that uh, right off the bat, you get these guys and Sheldon Keefe says, I'm going to put him in a, in a good situation. I'm not going to make him our fourth line center or maybe even our third line center. Uh, put him on the wing which at Joe Thornton's age and with the knee injuries he's had uh, isn't a bad idea. And, and you put him with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. And, you know, by coincidence, he, he lived with those guys when he was quarantining. So he's looked really good. Uh, Wayne Simmons, you know, has played his kind of role. They're both getting power play time, which, which again is Sheldon Keefe showing them how they're valued. And the other part is that I don't know if you could use it in Edmonton as well. I just like when he talks after the game that he's, you know, the guy just has fun. He loves playing hockey. He loves life. And you know he does everything that a Hall of Famer should do. I mean, his his track record, you know all about it. He pays the price on the ice. And when you see Austin Matthews talk or Connor McDavid talk and even before Phil Kessel, Dion Phaneuf, you know, it's tough. It's tough in those markets, and it's always very serious and almost kind of monotone post-game. And sometimes you got to say, yeah, let's just get a guy that can get some fun back in the game because that's why you love the game in the first place. And if you can incorporate some of that, you know, that can be a huge positive. And I think those are the kinds of things he's going to bring uh, off the ice to them. On the ice, he's not the all-star guy anymore, but he's uh, he's been put in a good spot, and that's really helped him. There was an article in The Athletic today, uh, an interview with Mike Babcock, who uh, really hadn't spoken publicly since the Leafs let him go, and he addressed some of the, uh, you know, kind of uh, darker accusations that were made against him by by former players and maybe uh, players who didn't like his coaching style too much. He is, I didn't realize uh, it was still this much money. Maple Leafs paying Babcock almost $6 million a year until June 30th, 2023. Uh, so I was going to ask you if, he, if you think he ever coaches again. I don't know if he needs to, but <laughs> do you think he well, ever you know, coaches again? <laughs> well, part, part, part of the problem is uh, because the NHL monitor, monitors all that, that, um, you know, he'll, he'd basically have to coach for free because uh, whatever he gets paid by another team will mitigate what the Leafs owe him. So, yeah, so I, I, I said that from the word go. His contract's the biggest problem about it because basically you can't, you can't really hide money. You can't pull any fancy stuff that way. That's something, you know, you know given the days when Mike Keenan way back when, when he went from the Rangers to St. Louis and that, like, there's no hanky-panky allowed there. So I don't know. I don't know if he does, but I think probably at some point you get motivated to do it. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if you're at, it'll be interesting hit him on – him on NBC now doing a little media job, but uh, I mentioned it earlier, and maybe that's what you're going to ask. But just uh, I think he was a very 
necessary guy to have and I think his hiring was very important early on you know he gave a profile and a name and it kind of helped get the Leafs to the next level but I'll tell you you know Reed you've had a lot of general managers and coaches there in the last little while and it was really evident he Mike Babcock's anything but stupid and he knew that he was not Kyle Dubas's guy and a year ago last April it was the strangest end of season for you know first the coach has the end of season press conference and then the general manager and it was just a dysfunctional part uh, partnership you can see then you kept thinking are you guys talking about the same teams and it was kind of like you know seriously so the last year at training camp oh you signed jason spezza well guess what i'm going to embarrass jason spezza uh, I'm going to wonder why he's here. I'm going to not have him dress the first game. Oh, you traded for Tyson Berry? Well, guess what? Tyson Berry's going to have to learn to play the Mike Babcock way or he isn't going to play. You know, and it kind of brought things to the head ahead of the start of the season. So uh, I, I respect the role he brought for uh, the larger part of it, but certainly it was time last year. Yeah. Hey, Gord, I always love having you on the show. I really appreciate your time. Have a great broadcast tomorrow. Leafs and Oilers playing Wednesday and Friday. Uh, we could be in for a lot of goals, buddy, so enjoy. <laughs> will do. Uh, it's an exciting year, the one year with the Canadian division, so will, and always a pleasure, Reed. Thanks very much. That is Gord Stelic checking in from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Always has good insight on uh, the Maple Leafs, who are often running 3-1 and one atop the Canadian division, a point ahead of Montreal and Calgary, who each have a game in hand. Ottawa and Winnipeg are playing each other tonight. Ottawa, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Vancouver, each with two points, though Ottawa and Winnipeg after tonight will have a game in hand on the Oilers and the Canucks. So uh, one of those two teams, Ottawa winning so far tonight, going to pull a little bit ahead of the uh, of the Edmonton Oilers. All right, uh, lots to talk about. 780-496-0063 is the number to call or text. I'll catch up on some of your feedback. I want to continue exploring my biggest questions about the Edmonton Oilers roster if they have fallen flat out of the gate at 1-3. Inside sports on chat messages to the program jamie says i would say the dry settle nuge yamo line needs to be reformed the problem i see with nuge being with connor is the old saying too many cooks in the kitchen too many playmakers not enough shooters sure they can both score goals but with nuge and connor together there's too much of a pass first mentality rather than a shooting mentality connor needs someone who can shoot not a superstar like ovi but someone who is willing to throw the puck at the net rather than the pretty play which has been killing them especially on the power play yes (laughs) i can't argue with that i wonder too if and obviously they're both very good players just tell me what you think do you think mcdavid scores more off the rush and nugent hopkins is better off the cycle 
Just wondering. Ray says they aren't the best team, and as such, they are playing to their level. They have a few guys that coast or just react. Nobody other than Connor or Leon seems to have a plan as to what they will do or where the puck is going. They are all too hesitant to make a perfect play. Barry has to find a groove and stay on his feet and be prepared for a hit and to uh, hit whenever there's a chance. Meanness needs to find a home here, but they look like Teletubbies. Are Teletubbies mean or not? Or are they gentle, Kellen? I believe they are gentle. They, they don't strike me as very mean, but... Help me out. Are Teletubbies gentle or mean? Uh, Z Tech City says, let's be real here. Connor McDavid is pretty brutal defensively, and Dave Tippett knows that, hence why Ryan Nugent Hopkins is playing on his wing. Well, there's probably something to that. Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, McDavid's a great player, and often young uh, players who come in as offensive superstars have to learn the defensive side of the game. And uh, I think McDavid still has some deficiencies in that area. Having said that, I'd take him on my roster any day. Kate from Spruce Grove. Spruce Grove, a fine community. Says, I understand that McDavid and Dreisaitl make a great line, but if they have to play together again, there are serious issues with the depth of the team again still. Yes, fair comment. Again, I, we had the caller, Scott, say that he wants to put McDavid and Dreisaitl back on the same line. I would not. I would put Nugent Hopkins back with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto, and I don't, I don't know who I'd put with McDavid. Maybe Cahoon and Archibald to start. I mean, you can draw names out of the hat and see how they go, I guess. Al says, last year the Oilers had the best line in the world. Why the heck not go back to it? Nuge thrives with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto, who is your best power forward. He puts power in quotation marks. And then you can look for guys to play with Connor. Also, the other teams are going to have to pay special attention to that line, giving Connor more room. All fair. Uh... This texture says, who I believe is being a little humorous. <laughs> uh, the problem is the goalie can't stop the first shot. Solution at the drop of the puck for the next six games, have six players and no goalie. Play all game with the goalie pulled. Well, that would be a heck of a coaching approach. I mean, Miko Koskinen, I, I think he's... <sighs> I don't think he's a horrible goalie. I think he can play in the NHL. I think he's probably more of a backup or a, a decent 1A. I, I'm just a little surprised at how, over the last couple of games, how often he hasn't known where the puck is. And, and that's, I mean, I know sometimes it'll happen or there's a rebound or a bounce and a goalie has to find it, but there have been times he's been staring in the other direction looking for it. Gallagher should have scored last night missed an open net to Koskinen's looking up into the stands and the pucks lying on the ice and Gallagher basically shot the puck back into Koskinen who was sort of accidentally able to kick it away. Now he may, he did make a lot of good saves last night, especially late in the second period, but I, for the first 30 minutes, he really looked like he was searching for the puck. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.